here will be a little bit fuzzy, but it's still, uh, I want to put it up here because um, we're going to go through a lot of Bible passages, okay? And, um, and you can turn to them and follow along in your Bible, but uh, I'll also put them up here, okay, so that you can just read them up here if you want and uh, through the fuzziness. But I, th- I think it's, it's, it's good enough to where you can follow along. So <laughs> anyway, um, I just want to get a couple announcements out the way. Um, so uh, this morning, uh, tomorrow is the, is the day that we need to let the, um, the hotel know how many people are coming uh, to the marriage. So after the um, after the, the service, um, well, actually the actual after the application time uh, from eleven to twelve, uh, Lisa and I will be at that table right there in the back, and we will be uh, collecting anyone's uh, checks to be made out to LHBC for the marriage conference. Um, uh, again, if you want to s- spend the night in the hotel on Friday night, again, this is March 2nd and 3rd, um, and it's going to be at the Fairfield Inn at the, by the airport. Um, it's $75 if you're going to spend the night there, and the conference is Friday night and Saturday morning, and if you just want to come and not spend the night, it's $25, okay? And uh, so we'll be at that table to collect checks, and uh, if anyone has you know, done the online thing and designated it for the conference, and we'll just see that online. Um, so uh, for those of you, I just want to put in a plug again for um, the service times we normally have from 10 to 11 here for the uh, worship singing and, um, and teaching time. And then from 11 to 12, we break down in discussion groups, and um, we really encourage everyone to stay for that time as we uh, just break down into smaller groups and have a discussion time of of basically the teaching. And uh, those are just, uh, for those of you who have stayed for those, um, to me, they're, they're priceless times. And uh, I mean, honestly, I, I enjoy those equally as much as I enjoy the teaching time because I learn so much from everybody uh, in the church, which is what the intention was for us putting those into place in the first place, because everyone in the church, um, God has gifted with various gifts and abilities, and and uh, so I just come away so encouraged from those times. So we just encourage everyone to stay in that second hour to contribute, you know, which is to the body, uh, so that we all will grow up uh, in love, as it says in Ephesians 4. Okay, so <clears throat> as uh, Eric alluded to, this we're going to be in John 10. And this morning we're going to talk about thieves and robbers, about sheep and wolves, about shepherds and strangers, about doors and sheep houses, about killing, stealing, and destruction, about following, fleeing, and resting, about sacrificing one life for another. Sounds like it could be describing a script for an action drama film, maybe, but I'm describing real life. So let's turn to John 10. We'll kind of park there, and then we'll <clears throat> we'll go off of there. And, and I'm going to go ahead, and, and we'll just read these verses together if everyone starts there in John 10. Um, uh, we read them during the uh, <clears throat> music time, but we'll read them together. And I'm going to go a little bit further in the passage here. <coughs> Excuse me. should have covered that up a little bit. Okay, John 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves his sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So that's as far as we'll... Oh, wait, wait a minute, actually... Let me finish. There was a, again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So this, this potentially, uh, has happened right after he, right after the statement, uh, that happened in, in John 9, where you know they were arguing about um, he healed the blind man, and they were saying, um, "Are we also blind?" Jesus said to them, "If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber." So you you can just see how the passage just continued on because they're talking about the blind, and he's saying like. Are we also blind? He's like, well, you are blind, you know, if you're, you know, basically saying this. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, thieves and robbers, and, and I'm the true shepherd. And um, <clears throat> so um, so let me break this down. Um, so basically, in this passage, we have the people involved here. We have thief, robber, shepherd, good shepherd, Gatekeeper, stranger, Jews, hired hand, the father. There's things. There's the door. There's the sheep house. The animals, the wolves, other sheep. And then all these action verbs here. Enters, climbs, opens, hears, listens, calls, brings out, goes before, follows, flees, scatters. You can, you can see them all there. <clears throat> um, so all these different things are going on. With these people, these animals, these things. Um, what's interesting is, was the concept of sheep and shepherds uncommon to the audience that Jesus was speaking to? Because based on what they say in verse 6, you'd think that they were like, what, what are you talking about? You know, And it's clear, if you, you know that these people knew the Old Testament, and... Um, it was not uncommon for them to hear about sheep and shepherds and, and all of these things. And, and these people were students of the Old Testament that he was talking to. And the Old Testament was full of analogies of the people of Israel being sheep and God the Father being the shepherd. So it shouldn't have been uncommon for them to understand what he was, what he was trying to say here. And I wanted to just bring up here... Um, some very common verses that we even know. We're not, you know, we weren't people of Israel. We weren't people that grew up studying the Old Testament, but we're very familiar with Psalm 23. And so would these people who have, you know, who were listening to him on that day. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Psalm 78, then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. That's the psalmist talking about God the Father. And then Psalm 100, verse 3, about entering his gates with thanksgiving, entering his courts with praise. And then verse 3 of that psalm says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So Jesus uses this analogy of sheep 
and the shepherd. And again, in verse 6, they say, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And that just kind of baffles me because it, it's, it's like they... It's, it's like they had a deer in the headlights look, and he's using a concept and an allegory that they should have been very familiar with. So, you know, I had to ask myself, why is their response um, that they do not understand this? Why do they not understand what he's saying to them? Um, <clears throat> well, as we've been going through John. Um, we talked about this in the, in the uh, weeks past, um, and I think I think Jeff actually brought this out at the beginning, and I really appreciated it when Jeff was talking about how just through the book of John, you talk about one, chapter one, two, three, four, five. Jesus was progressively revealing himself more and more as who he really was, as, uh, that he he was God himself, and. Um, and so uh, Jesus just keeps opening the door wider and wider, and you can see, I mean, I think it was John 7 that um, Eric spoke on, and they sent the guards over there, and they wanted, to, they wanted them to arrest them, but then they came back and said, no one has ever spoke like this man. And they're like, why didn't you arrest him? No one has ever spoke like this man. I mean, Jesus kept just revealing, he kept just doing things, and then he did some miracles, mixed in some miracles in there, and they were just like, something's going on here. This man is different. We can't arrest him. Um, now people are starting to believe in him. And so he just keeps revealing himself more and more. And so now he's getting uh, even more, opening that door wider, and he's revealing his true identity to the people. And I see him using this analogy here as just another step of that opening the door. And if we think of this audience as the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and other learned people who knew the Old Testament, you would think they'd be catching on to some of these things Jesus is stating as dropping obvious hints as to who Jesus is. Um, But I think that some, in some ways that they are continuing to not get it, I'm just going to read this passage from Matthew 13. Okay, it just, in some ways... The only understanding I can have as to why they were not getting it is because, one, it's part of God's grand plan that they're not going to get it. Um, In Matthew 13, uh, verses 10 through 17, the disciples had a discussion with Jesus, and they said, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And I can only believe that uh, this was just part of God's grand plan, that these Pharisees, these learned men, were never going to hear, they were never going to understand. And it was part of God's fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah that they would not come to understand. Um, That's one reason. Another reason that I think of is um, I believe that some of them probably struggled with believing. Some of them possibly came to a point of wanting to believe, but it was power that was holding them back from letting go for a fear of losing that power. And um, 
you know, we'll get into this in the days ahead, but I'm just going to share this one verse from John 11 in verse 45, where it says, many of the Jews, therefore, and this is after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, so this is a miracle of all miracles. I mean, who could ever do that, right? I mean, they might go like, well, he healed a blind guy. I mean, okay, well, I don't know how he did that, but okay, we'll we'll believe that maybe, I don't know, or we'll just take that for granted. But now he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's pretty amazing. No one could ever do that, right? No magician could ever do that. So this is after that. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they struggled with this uh, identity crisis of I mean, there might have been some sitting on that council. There might have been some leaders in that group that were just like, man, I want to believe in this man. I mean, how can I not believe that this man is from God? But yet they struggled with, it's almost like I think of today as like, almost like our modern day politicians, you know, that like they'll do anything to stay elected, you know, and it's like to, to, to not lose, you know, their, their power or something. It's, 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 uh, I feel like these Pharisees and these, these Jewish leaders were like, even if deep down in their hearts they wanted to believe, they were, had a, such a fear of losing what they had attained um, with the Roman government and the positions that they had and whatever benefits they were receiving um, that they could not give that up and they would not allow themselves to believe because they would lose control and power. So that is another uh, reason I think that they were having a very hard time um, believing. Um, and they had ears that would not hear and eyes that would not see. Okay, but let me tell you another deeper reason why I believe Jesus came over to this allegory of the sheep and the shepherd. Um, so, again, these people, these learned men, they, they should have known the Old Testament. They should have known many of the prophecies um, that were in the Old Testament. And, of course, Jesus knew them. And so, um, uh, I believe Jesus might have used, in my understanding, might have used this analogy of the sheep and the shepherd to try to point people that he was fulfilling a prophecy that came from the book of Ezekiel. So this is a long passage. <clears throat> so I've put it up here on the screen, and you guys can follow along with me, and I'll read it. And then I'm going to try to explain how if these people would have known this passage, which they should have, uh, they should have been able to see that Jesus was fulfilling this passage in, in, in saying what he said here in John 10. Okay. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And this is Ezekiel, um, where God had him prophesy against the, the priests of Israel who were not doing a good job of shepherding the people. Okay, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Yeah, it's, he's not talking about the shepherds in the fields that were doing the sheep. He's talking about the the priests of Israel who were supposed to be taking care of the pe- people's spiritual needs. Okay. Um, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As I shepherd seeks, as a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus is the Lord God to them. Behold, I myself would judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with side and shoulder, and thrust at all the weak with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock, they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and shepherd, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. I'll just stop there. Um, <clears throat> but um, you can see the many, the many uh, parallels in this passage that uh, could easily that Jesus is fulfilling these prophecies in this passage. Let's just start from the bottom here, and I will set over them one shepherd. And Jesus in John ten here says. Um, uh, I am the good shepherd. I, uh, so there will be one flock in verse 16, one shepherd. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And that's exactly what it's saying here. I will set up over them one shepherd. And then here in Ezekiel it says, my servant David, and he shall feed them. Well, David's dead, okay, at this time that Ezekiel's writing this. But what this really is alluding to is someone from David's line. David's, David's family line. And we know that Jesus came from David's family line. So in that sense, I believe that this is pointing to someone from David's line. And we know that Jesus came from David's family line. And uh, so I think that that speaks to Jesus as well. And then up here, it says, I will feed them with good pasture. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here, that follow me and uh, I will, you will go in and out and find pasture. And then he talks about, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. Jesus has already given um, the parable of going away from the 99 and going after the one sheep. And he was really referring to himself in that parable. And so, um, even though all of these things point to the Lord um, speaking to himself, again, we already talked about why the people might not have gotten it. Um, so those are a, a few things, you know, the fact that the people knew about the sheep and the shepherds from the Old Testament, um, 
They could have gone from their recollection of Ezekiel 34 and how Jesus was fulfilling that prophecy. Um, I just want to bring one more point in because I think it's just very cool, if you will. Okay. Um, what it is, is it's something that I learned a long time ago, actually early on when I became a Christian. And so it just came to mind this week when I was thinking about it. Um, but it just, it, it's one of these things that just blows my mind away about how, how wise God is, how amazing God is, and how intricate everything he does that just works together. You know, even like this passage from Ezekiel and how Jesus would be talking about it and being like, don't you guys get it? I'm that person. I'm that person, but you guys just aren't getting it. But another thing that these guys would have known, I mean, because these guys were students of the Old Testament, is, um, okay, just bear with me here. In Nehemiah, when they rebuilt the, the gates, when they rebuilt the wall, there were different gates that they built. There was gates to enter the city. There was the sheep gate. There was a gate called the sheep gate. There was a gate called the fish gate. There was a gate called the valley gate. There was a gate called the dung gate. Okay, there was different gates. So the sheep gate was a gate that was set up. It was on the north side of the city, and um, it was where they brought in the animals to be sacrificed. Okay, and um, I'm going to share a passage from Ezekiel, uh, Nehemiah 3 that talks about who built the sheep gate. Nehemiah 3.1, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the high priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. This is the only gate that was built by the high priests. All the other gates, if you read Nehemiah, were just built by other people, okay? But the sheep gate was built by the high priest because it was the gate that sheep would come in. And you know from the Old Testament, the sheep, the spotless lamb, would be the one that was sacrificed yearly for the sins of the people. So a parallel here is that Jesus is our high priest, as it talks about in Hebrews 4. And here we're talking about Jesus being the door, Okay, Jesus is our sheep gate. Jesus is our door, the passage for which the lamb goes through. He's our spotless lamb. And then, so it was built by Eliashib. And then Eliashib, that high priest, created the passageway through which the means of deliverance would be available to the people because that spotless lamb would have to come through that gate each year that would be sacrificed. And Jesus, our high priest, is the passageway through which the means of deliverance is available to all people. And then the sheep went through the door of the gate of that city only once because they were killed. They did not go back out. But Jesus being our door, us as sheep can go in and out to rest and to graze in the pasture. But anyway, I just... I just thought that was just one of those things where God just leaves no stone unturned. I mean, he just, he's got it all figured out. And there's all kinds of things in the Bible like this where, um, that are just magnificent wisdom of God shown through and through. So, again, the people were not connecting the dots, but that doesn't mean that we can't. So let's try to understand what Jesus is saying here with all of the various characters and action statements. Um, first of all, to get some perspective, uh, let's look at a typical sheep pen um, that might have been in the uh, field, okay? And again, this is, this is interesting too. So if it was a sheep pen in the field, it, w- it might have been built with just, you know, some rocks, stones, like loosely put up to make a wall like this, but oftentimes the gate or the, the door of it would be just like this, where the shepherd would lay down and he literally would be the door. So when Jesus said, I am the door, this very much is people in the context of him saying that, this is what could, could be literally in their minds, that the shepherd, he would lay down and be the door and he would protect the sheep that way from wolves getting in. They would have to pass through that door, pass through the shepherd to get to the sheep. 
unless there were thieves and robbers that would try to climb in from another side. Okay, so who are these thieves and robbers? Who might they be? And who are these hired hands? Um, So one thing is clear. The hired hands and the thieves and robbers are two distinct people because Jesus pretty much, he... um, he talked about the, the thieves and robbers were intruders. They, they had evil intent from the start, um, and Jesus condemned them for that. But the hired hands, they were actually authorized people to be working among the sheep, and God just condemned them, or Jesus did in this parable, for cowardice and selfishness. So um, this is just, you know, in my understanding uh, of who the thieves and robbers were, um, Jesus said, you know, they came, they were here before me. And um, my understanding of the thieves and robbers are that they were false prophets, false teachers. Some people even came before Jesus that were pseudo-Messiahs. They were people that said, like, I'm the Messiah, but they really weren't the true Messiah. And they came to deceive people and lead them away from truth. Um, if you guys just want to write this down, there's a passage in Acts 5. Um, 527 uh, through 39, I will read it. And, if, um, and this is where, uh, again, the Jewish leaders were upset. Uh, this is after when the church, early church was starting, and, and they were um, upset at Peter and, and John for preaching in the, in the streets there. Um, but what happened is... Um, Verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them because they were um, talking about, actually they were, they brought them before the council and they were basically uh, telling the council like, you killed Jesus and you know, it's his blood is on your hands and all. So they were enraged. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the Jewish leaders, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. So that's just one example of some false teachers, some false uh, people that were there. I don't know if Thutis and Judas the Galilean came before Jesus or they came after, but probably before Jesus' time. And uh, so this, these were people that were trying to draw people away. And um, and I think it's important to know that um, actually what's interesting is uh, these, um, we still have, Jesus warned us that there's going to be false teachers and deceivers with us, you know, even today. Uh, he Jesus warned us, you know, uh, even after John 10 here, he said like, you will, there will be false teachers. Um, I'll get into that in a minute here. Um so is, this is just my understanding of this, but though not explicit in the text, Jesus may be referring to the Pharisees and other religious leaders as the hired hands. They certainly be- behaved in the manner described as caring more about themselves than the people among them. Um, but Jesus warned of false prophets and false teachers coming after him to lead the sheep astray. Um, <clears throat> now this is really interesting. And uh, again, and just kind of like l- studying for this passage, but, um, you know, there's still shepherds in the Middle East today. And, um, and I was just reading about this, but it's amazing. And just how, you know, Jesus is sharing this passage, you know, over 2000 years ago. Okay. But it was talking, I was reading this story about shepherds in the Middle East today and how they, how they call their sheep. Okay. And, and all shepherds, they have, they have a calling. You know, they use their voice to call, their own sheep and their sheep actually know their voice. So even if like they're at a mixed place, you know, if they go into the night 
and their sheep are in mixed company with other sheep, like in a pen or, or at a well or something, they can use their voice and their sheep will come to them. It's just, it's uncanny. And they were saying like, even in the dark, even when it's, you know, pitch black at night, they can use their voice and their sheep will gather to them. It's just, um, it's, it's just like Jesus said. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing to just how they can use their voice. Their sheep don't need to see them. Their sheep know them by their voice. And, um, so the takeaway I had here is like, are we investing time in developing a relationship with the Lord Jesus? primarily through the word of truth in order to know his voice so that we will not be led astray by the voice of a strange shepherd. This is an absolute must. This warning comes from God himself. And and I think that's the only way that we are not going to be led astray by false teachings, by false uh, prophets, because Jesus said they are going to come and even, you know, the apostles and the writings after Jesus died, they said false teachers will come. Even like one of the latest writings was from Peter and Second Peter. And he said, false teachers are going to come and they're going to try to lead you astray. And the only way that we can not be led astray is to know the voice of our shepherd. And our shepherd's voice is the word. And the word is... We have his words right here. And so we, the more we know the voice of our shepherd, the less chance we have of going astray of the voice of a stranger. And I'm telling you, there are, there are many strangers. There are many strange voices today. Um, okay. And so we need to know the words of our shepherd. Okay. So after the audience, did not understand the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd. Jesus, in my mind, makes it more plain and just stating flat out, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Okay, it's kind of like, you know, how, how, how more plain can it get? It's like, you guys don't understand. I'm talking about sheep and shepherds and wolves and robbers. And you're like, we, we, you don't understand what you're talking about. Okay, all right, then let me just be flat out. I am the door. If you enter by me, you will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Okay, it, can it be any more plain? Okay, you know, I mean, what, how do you think they responded to that, you know? Well, fortunately, at the end, it says like, mm, some were believing, you know, by by the end of that, you know? And so it gets no plainer than that. Um, he is saying he is not a way, but the way to be saved. And um, what's interesting is we know this is unsettling to people, right? I mean, in our day, that is unsettling to people. It's unsettling when... I, for some, I don't know if this is something that happened like all throughout cultures... But in our day and age, for right now, in our culture, um, it's unsettling to be emphatic on something. It's unsettling to say black is black and white is white, the sky is blue, the grass is green. I don't know why, but in our culture today, somehow we're in a day and age where everything needs to be like gray, okay? So it's very, so if Jesus was in our culture today and said, I am the door the door, and, you know, you must come through me to be saved, that wouldn't go over well, okay? And it doesn't go over well when we share that with people. It does not go over well, okay? Um, so, uh, actually, it, well, we know it didn't go over well, all right? So I shouldn't say, I said, like, is it, was it unsettling through the ages? Well, yeah, because they, they killed him, okay? So it didn't go over well. Um, so... Um, Anyway, I, we, we can do that during the discussion times as to uh, why you feel like um, uh, it's unsettling to people. But I want to tell you, I, I want to tell you, I mean, I have re- reasons why I think it's unsettling to people. Um, but I, I want to tell you a story. Um, how many of you guys have heard of uh, Gracia Burnham? Uh, she was a missionary. Uh, and I don't, anyone know her husband's name? What it? 
Martin. So, so, so the, Martin and Gracia Burnham, and they were missionaries. They were down in the Philippines, and um, they were from the Kansas City area. Um, I think they were graduates of Calvary Bible College. And, um, and I heard her testimony one time. She shared at a church here. Um, actually, her husband um, was killed during this incident, okay? So they were Philippines and, I mean, missionaries to the Philippines, <clears throat> and um, they became uh, captives to a Muslim terrorist group down there. And um, so they were captives for a number of days. I, I mean, I don't remember how many days it was, but it, w- it was weeks. Huh? Almost a year. Months. Okay, almost, almost a year. Thanks for... Because we have, I, I have the book on my shelf, but I've never read it. Okay, so <laughs> I, I went to this test, uh, her testimony, got the book, got it signed. It's been there, done that, got the book, got it signed, haven't read it. But anyway, I heard the story, okay, uh, from, from the, t- the testimony uh, time at the church I went to where she gave it. And, but there's just one thing that stood out to me from the testimony that is the thing that just like, it's burned in my brain. Um, and what it is, is uh, her husband, Martin, because he was like, kind of like handcuffed to this, you know, got Muslim guy that like he had to be, you know, captive to this guy for months. He was constantly like talking to him about Jesus, you know, and, 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 and sharing the gospel with him about, you know, Jesus died for your sins and, and um, you know, you can be saved because, you know, he died for your sins. And, and, and she said that like, when it just got to the point where the guy got so sick of hearing it, that at one point in time, she said, the guy just slammed his fist down and said, like, no one will die for my sins. I will die for my sins. And, and, and I just, that just, that part of her testimony just burned in my brain. It just made me think that's, that's the key right there is like the gospel story is about God's grace. It's about receiving a gift like as Eric alluded to. It's not, it's, it's, it's something that we follow a shepherd. You know, the shepherd goes before us and we just follow him through the door and we have nothing to give. We have nothing to give. But this guy was like, I will not accept that unless I have something to give. And Jesus is like, then I won't take you because you need to come empty-handed because that, you know, I, you don't have anything to give. You need to come empty-handed because I've got, I've got it all and you, you just need to come to me and just extend your hand to me and, and I'll take you in. And, and so I think that that's where all of these just... Anything that is false out there, anything that is false teaching, false prophets, false shepherds, it's going to have something to do that is that it that is a a mark on God's grace. Okay. Um, so anyway, um, can the pride of man just not accept that God is the good shepherd? Can they not accept that He is just the good shepherd? You know, because that's what he says he is. He says, I'm the good shepherd. After he says, I'm the door, he says, I'm the good shepherd. Why is he good? Okay, in this passage, he lays down his life willingly for the sheep. That's one reason he's good. He cares deeply for the sheep. He knows his sheep intimately. He says in this passage, like the father knows him. How intimate is that? That, that's extremely intimate. That's how well he knows the sheep. Think about that. Think about that he knows you as intimately as the Father knows him. I mean, that's, that's just be more intimate than anyone on this earth will ever know you. Okay? He absolutely wants his sheep to enjoy the abundant life. And the abundant life is really, it's, it's eternal life with him. It's, and what is eternal life, he says in John 17? It's knowing him. It's enjoying a relationship with God. It's growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can we not trust him as our good shepherd? Can we not? So why do we sometimes not follow? Why do we sometimes go astray? 
Are you guys getting sleepy? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I know. It's like eleven ten and I feel like I need to hit on these last points. So maybe we can like do this and take a deep breath. Okay. So anyway, let me hit on these last points here, okay, because it's very important because we're talking about the good shepherd and can we trust him. If you need to stand up, do want to talk about okay. Oh, wait a minute. Hmm. Here we go. Okay. Why do we sometimes not follow? Why do we sometimes go astray? So I wanted to just hit on a few reasons why we sometimes don't follow. Why we sometimes have trouble. You know, Jesus is saying here, you know, follow the leader, follow me. And then we're like, you know, like like a sheep just kind of normally like has, you think picture him having his head down and he's just like, he starts wandering off this way, Right. Okay, so why do we not follow? Why do we start going this way and Jesus is that way and then we're just like peeling off this way? I think one reason is anxiety to go outside of our comfort zones. You know, Jesus is, is, is leading us down a path and, and, and we start to see that like, oh, that's getting me outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to start going back because uh, that's, that's outside of my comfort zone. And I get that from Matthew 8. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, and a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And that guy was probably like, uh, but then where are we going to sleep? I mean, like, I, comfort in? You know, I mean, where, where we with no bed? I mean, what are we going to do about that? So I think I'm out, you know, okay? And then the next guy, another disciple said, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So he's like, um, the cares of this world. Another reason, the cares of this world. I've got cares of this world that I need to take care of, so I... I can't trust that you're the good shepherd that I need to follow you even though you're asking me to because I've got cares of this world and if I don't take care of them, then something might happen even though you're telling me that I should follow you. I'm going to take care of these cares of the world instead. And so we have these dilemmas, you know. We, we and so, um, I mean, some people would think of this and like think like, oh, well, he's not even letting the guy bury his father. But you just had to put it in the category of cares of this world because we don't know the circumstances here, and I, I really can't speak to the culture of whatever you know happened there. I'd have to dig into it more. So another one is Matthew 10, and maybe just to save time, I'll not read this whole verse, but I got this in the category of fear of our reputation, fear of our relationships being lost, and fear of material loss. Matthew 10 is where Jesus is going to send out the disciples, and he's saying, I'm going to send you guys out, and you're going to go out with with, with just, you know, what's on your your backs, and but... Um, People might not like you. Uh, beware of men. You know, they'll throw you in front of the courts. But he says, but have no fear of them. And don't fear those who can kill your body, but cannot kill your soul. And then he talks about towards the end, um, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So he's basically saying, your family relationships does not come before me. And we know, not in this country as much as some others, probably some in this country, but we know some countries where if someone becomes a believer, they their family disowns them. Okay, and Jesus is saying that, like, your fear of loss of relationship is not, I mean, that's something that can keep people from following him. Um, and then fear of material loss um, is another reason that people... With it. Sometimes we may get off track of following him. 
Um, and then here in Matthew 16, where Jesus, uh, well, actually, Peter steps in and says uh, to Jesus, Jesus said, I need to do this. And Peter steps in and says, get, you know, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen. And Peter, and then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. So to me, that's um, Peter fixing his eyes on worldly things of heaven instead of heavenly things. And then Jesus goes on to say, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Um, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And then this man who had possessions, um, Jesus said, follow me. And he said, um, yeah, I'll follow you. But Jesus said, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the man said, I can't do that. And he left and he was disheartened and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And, um, and so when you think about that, it's like, are we reluctant to give up our possessions to follow him? Is that sometimes why we don't follow him fully? Um, and then selfish ambition. This one really, I mean, think about this one. Okay, just Mark 10. This one, this one really amazed me when I saw it. Okay. And really, I was just really kind of doing a, a word search on the word follow. Okay. When I was trying to see reasons why we don't follow, I'll just read the very beginning. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. So Jesus is describing to them what's going to happen to him. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. I mean, what, what, I, I said like, we sometimes don't follow because of selfish ambition. Jesus goes on to, at the very end, to say, Hey, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is, you think about this moment, like say you were having a conversation with your children, and you're like, children, tomorrow I'm going to, let's just say you were, getting ready to get deployed, you were in the service, and you were getting ready to get deployed into battle. You know, you were going to the Middle East, and you're like, Troy, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be deployed tomorrow, and I'm getting on the airplane, and I'm going to the Middle East, and they're going to send me to the front lines, and I may not come home. And then Troy's response is, hey, Dad, um, if you don't come back, like, um, uh, can I get your... Um, your guitar, you know, instead of like Luke, you know, because I mean, it's a really nice guitar. And I'd just be like, what? I mean, I, I just told you like, I was like going to the front lines and like, I may not be coming home and, and you're thinking about who's going to get my guitar. So, I mean, that's kind of like what I see is going on here is like, I mean, what, what is wrong with, with these guys? You know, he, Jesus is telling them something serious and they got selfish ambition on the brain, you know. And so Jesus has to, like, recorrect them. So to me, that's another reason why we don't, like, follow him fully. And then the last thing is, and, and, and we're going to get, talk. we can talk about this in the discussion times because I think that we fall into these traps. The last thing is we sometimes don't follow him because we're distracted by concerning ourselves with others rather than focusing on ourselves and this is where Peter did this with John. Jesus was having this conversation with Peter after he resurrected from the dead. And, and so Jesus is talking to him about what I want you to do, Peter. This is what I want you to do. Here's your marching orders, okay? Because I'm getting ready to be ascended into heaven. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, following them. 
the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So I think sometimes we don't follow Jesus because we're concerned. We're not hearing his voice. We're not following him because we're sitting there thinking about like, what about, what about that? What about that person? And what about that person? And how come that person's not, you know, that person's not like following Christ and, and that person's not, you know, and, and I'm doing better than that guy. And so, and so we're distracted by that. And so we're not following Christ. So the last thing I want to do is just read this um, little story about the good shepherd and then, then we'll close. When all is said and done, the welfare of any flock is entirely dependent upon the management afforded them by their owner. The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I had ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They had only polluted, they had only polluted muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. In my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on the other side. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. What if his sheep did want green grass? fresh water, shade, safety or shelter from the storms? What if they did want relief from wounds, bruises, disease, and parasites? He ignored their needs. He couldn't care less. Why should he? They were just sheep, fit only for the slaughterhouse. I have become increasingly aware of one thing. It is the master in people's lives who makes the difference in their destiny. Despite an unparalleled wealth and material assets, We are outstandingly insecure and unsure of ourselves and well near bankrupt in spiritual values. Always men are searching for safety beyond themselves. They are restless, unsettled, covetous, greedy for more, wanting this and that, yet never really satisfied in spirit. By contrast, the simple Christian, the humble person, the shepherd's sheep can stand up proudly and boast, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I am completely satisfied with his management of my life. Why? Because he is the sheepman to whom no trouble is too great as he cares for his flock. He is the rancher who is outstanding because of his fondness for sheep, who loves them for their own sake as well as his personal pleasure in them. He will, if necessary, be on the job 24 hours a day to see that they are properly provided for in every detail. Above all, he is very jealous of his name and high reputation as the good shepherd. He is the owner who delights in his flock. For him, there is no greater reward, no deeper satisfaction than that of seeing his sheep contented, well-fed, safe, and flourishing under his care. This is indeed his very life. He gives it all he has to it. He literally lays himself out for those who are his. He will go to no end of trouble and labor to supply them with the finest grazing, the richest pasture, ample winter feed, and clean water. He will spare himself no pains to provide shelter from storms, protection from ruthless enemies, and the diseases and parasites to which sheep are so susceptible. No wonder Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And again, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. From early dawn until late at night, this utterly selfless shepherd is alert to the welfare of his flock. For the diligent sheepman rises early and goes out first thing every morning without fail to look over his flock. 
It is the initial intimate contact of the day with a practice searching sympathetic eye. He examines the sheep to see that they are fit and content and able to be on their feet. Repeatedly throughout the day, he casts his eye over the flock to make sure that all is well, nor even at night is he oblivious to their needs. He sleeps, as it were, with one eye and both ears open, ready at the least sign of trouble to leap up and protect his own. This is a sublime picture of the care given to those whose lives are under Christ's control. He knows all about their lives from morning to night. Can we not trust him as our great shepherd? If we are not trusting him wholly as our good shepherd, what are we trusting in? What are we holding on to? As human beings, we're always holding on to something. So if it's not him, what are we holding on to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just so thankful that you are a good shepherd. You're, you're the good shepherd. You're our good shepherd. And I just pray that um, you would, by your grace, help us to trust you more, trust you more and more as our good shepherd. And... Uh, Help us to hear your voice more and more. Help us to follow you more and more, Lord. And just, um, Lord, just help us to be satisfied uh, in your goodness. And um, just to be glorified in our following of you. And, 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 and reveal to us where we um, deviate from following you. And Lord, just... Help us to overcome some of these temptations we have to not follow you, Lord, which we know that we all struggle with. And, uh, and, and give us the grace to, to um, by faith, to follow you and to trust you as the good shepherd. Lord, I ask you these things in Jesus' name. We're going to transition to a members meeting. We...